0: Well, good morning and uh, welcome to Sojourn. As Edward said earlier, grateful that you're here this morning to be able to gather together and sing and worship our living God together. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here and uh, just excited, looking forward to jumping into our time in God's Word this morning. If you need a copy of the Bible, if you just raise your hand, I'll have a few people bring a Bible around to you. We'd love for you to be able to read along with us out of the book of Hebrews this morning. If you want to actually own a copy of the scriptures, please feel free to take that home with you. Um, That's our gift to you. We want you to be able to have God's word all throughout the week. And let me also just remind you and call your attention to the little half sheet of paper in your bulletin this morning. It's an opportunity for you just to take some notes uh, to hopefully help you focus during this time of the preaching of God's word and then to take it with you out of here to be able to continue to digest and process through what God is teaching you as you engage in community with one another throughout the week. But as we begin our time, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask that he would bless it. Let's pray together. Holy God, we're grateful to be able to be here this morning. The privilege you give us to gather together in this place. The freedom we have to do that. The blessing it is that we woke up this morning breathing, able to get out of the bed, to come here. Lord, that's a gift of your grace. There are brothers and sisters this morning that are struggling with sickness, struggling with difficulty, that maybe aren't able to be here. We pray that you'd protect them and bless them this morning. But Lord, as we gather, we pray that the Holy Spirit would move in power in our time sitting under the preaching of your word this morning. We pray that you would do a work in us. Stir our affections for Christ this morning. Stir our trust in God this morning. Bring about a greater dependence on the Spirit this morning. And we pray that you would encourage us today as we dive into this text to. Uh, Talk about who our Jesus is. I pray that you would draw us to him and encourage us today because we understand more of who he is and what that means for our lives here and now. So we pray, Holy Spirit, that you do a work this morning and that you get all the glory for it. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. My uh, sister in law and brother in law are certified divers, they have all the gear. All the gear that goes along with scuba diving. And my brother-in-law was into it uh, for a while before my sister-in-law got into it. But because he was doing it, she wanted to get certified as well. And So they've taken trips all over the place, uh, all over the Atlantic and the Pacific, just to do dives in different interesting places and check things out over the last few years of their marriage. And it is a pretty amazing thing to think about all the places that we can explore just here on Earth. It would take a lifetime to go to all the interesting places in the world. But an even crazier thing to me, an interesting fact to me, is that some 70% of, our, of the earth is covered in water. 70%. That means that below the water, there's over a million species of plants and animal life. Mountains and ravines, underwater volcanoes and trenches. And then on top of that, there's shunk, sunken ships all over the place. Things at the bottom of the sea that are places that we can go explore and figure out what's going on with all of those things. And so what that means is, is that even if we're a great explorer and explore everything above the water and we don't actually dive deep below the surface of the water, then we're missing out on so much. So many amazing things to see. Well, last week we looked at Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, and I believe that we just saw through that that I hope that God encouraged your hearts there were just some sweet treasures of truth in those three short verses that we focused in on last week. Well, today what we're going to do is we're going to dive a little deeper. We're going to go a little deeper and look at these next few verses in the text in the book of Hebrews and see how they continue to elaborate on who Jesus is and why that matters for you and for me. He's not some distant deity, we learned last week, but he is a faithful high priest who has enabled you and me and invited us to come to a throne, not of judgment, but a throne of grace, to receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And there's something that's true for every person in this room this morning, whether you call yourself a follower of Jesus or not, That we are people who in this life are beset with weakness. And we are people who in this life will walk through suffering. Suffering sometimes due to our own sin. And suffering sometimes brought about by the brokenness of this world. But the glorious good news that we heard last week and we'll see more of this morning is that we are not left alone and without hope in this world. No, we have a suffering shepherd, a suffering shepherd who hears and heals, who gives hope and endurance, who understands and saves. And so my hope for you today, no matter where you're at in life right now, what you happen to be going through in this moment in your life right now, whether you're walking closely with the Lord or really questioning whether God is real or exists, my hope is that he will give you ears to hear this morning. Eyes to see him this morning and hearts to receive what he has for you so that he can give you hope and endurance and help you to continue to persevere. He can comfort you and encourage you and change you and help you to hold on and hold fast to Jesus. So let's go ahead and open up our Bibles to Hebrews. We're going to be focusing on Hebrews chapter 5 verses 1 through 10, but I want to read this morning from chapter 4 verse 14 through 5.10. To see what's going on here, what the author of Hebrews has to say to us, what God has to say to us this morning. So, starting in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who, in every respect, has been tempted as we are. Yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Right now, a book that I'm reading, uh, oftentimes at night before I go to bed, try not to read uh, ministry books or, church, or books about the church or anything like that, uh, but just read some, some interesting books that'll help me to kind of fall asleep and, and disengage a little bit from the busyness of the day just to focus on an interesting story. So a book I'm reading right now is called The Shepherd's Life. And it's a book about shepherds, like actual shepherds, like who shepherd real sheep and it's not a book about shepherds from yesteryear these are shepherds in the lake district of northern england that are shepherding sheep right now in fact the subtitle of the book is modern dispatches from an ancient landscape then the author writes about his life taking care of sheep and his family's life taking care of these animals and the farm and just their lifestyles and this picturesque picturesque place in northern england but one of the most remarkable things about this book, about this story of this shepherd and his family, is that his family, for generations, has been shepherding sheep in this particular part of the country for about 600 years. Like, just to put that in perspective, America's about to turn 241. His family's been in this one place for 600 years doing the same thing shepherding sheep. And a consistent analogy in Scripture for God's people are sheep. And those who are called to lead them are often called shepherds. A shepherd in the Bible is a person who's called to lead and feed and care for God's people, just like an actual shepherd, to lead them to still waters and green pastures. We see in the New Testament that that's oftentimes connected to what we refer to as a pastor or pastor-elder. Throughout the Old Testament, this comes in the form of prophets and priests and kings. In Ezekiel chapter 34, there's a strong rebuke from God against bad shepherds. Shepherds who are not caring well for his sheep, for his people. And really part of the reason I wanted to read this book is because I'm a pastor in Jesus' church and Jesus has called me to shepherd sheep, to be a part of a community of people that he refers to as his sheep, as people. But I don't know any real shepherds. And I don't hang around sheep, like actual sheep. So I'm like, what, are you, what am I actually supposed to be doing? Can I learn something from what a shepherd actually looks like? And this book does a great job of showing this. Shepherding is a daily, unglamorous thing. It's an important role that requires deep commitment and deep involvement. And something that stuck out in my mind about shepherding is you cannot shepherd from a distance. You can't phone it in. as we come to our text today, we're going to press in more and seek to understand the gift that it is that your Savior and my Savior is not just a Savior, but he's also a suffering shepherd. And so we see there's in this text, there's a comparison, a description of what shepherding looks like. And why you and I don't just need a suffering shepherd, we need the suffering shepherd. So here's a little English lesson for us this morning. The difference between the definite and indefinite article in English is usually distinguished between using the word a or the the word the or the. The definite article addresses something specific. So we could say we want a cookie among many, or I want the cookie, a specific one. And so our two main points in the sermon this morning are simply this. A suffering shepherd and the suffering shepherd. A suffering shepherd and the suffering shepherd. So let's dive into our first point and mine for some treasure this morning. We see a suffering shepherd, this this outline that he gives us in verses one through four about who a high priest is. The high priest was an important figure in the life and faith of God's people. And in this text, these first few verses of chapter 5, we get a picture of the high priest as a shepherd. Someone who is charged with leading God's people to God. Leading God's people to God. And we really get a a snapshot of some basic truths and aspects of what this role looks like. So I want to point a few of those out for us this morning. First, we learn that a, a suffering shepherd is chosen from among men and appointed by God. We see this in verses 1 and 4. The shepherd of God's people is not self-appointed. You don't wake up one day and declare, I think I'm going to be high priest today. The same is true for pastoring. You don't wake up one day and kind of declare yourself to be a pastor in Jesus' church. It's something that God's people confirm and affirm and make that decision based on God's calling, on God's appointment. And usually this happens over a period of time. It's not something to rush into because the calling and responsibility are significant. Which leads to the next thing we see about this role. The suffering shepherd represents the people to God and God to the people. He represents the people to God and God to the people. We see this in verse 1 as well. We mentioned this a bit last week. The high priest was set up in Israel to be able to go on behalf of the people to offer sacrifice on behalf of the people before God because our sin had separated us from God. We aren't able to be in right relationship with him because of sin. And so the high priest fulfilled this role where he would sacrifice on behalf of the people in the day of atonement and go behind the curtain into a place called the Holy of Holies where the presence of God dwelt inside the temple in the place that God's people came to worship. He would come and he would offer sacrifice before the people, but he would do it once a year, one day out of that year. He would go and he would leave again and had to do it over and over again because it wasn't a lasting sacrifice. But as we said last week, we'll keep talking about this all through the book of Hebrews. Jesus fulfills the role of the high priest because Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice for our sin. And that veil that once existed, that separated you and I from God, has been torn in two. So that now you can come before the presence of God because of what Christ has done for you. You can confidently come to the throne of grace. So the role and the shepherd of God's people is now not as a mediator to offer sacrifice for sin, but someone who leads you to the mediator. Because your sin has been paid for in full in the cross. So shepherds then and shepherds now are called to bring you before the throne of grace. They're called to bring you to green pastures and still waters. To do that through the ministry of the word. Preaching it and teaching it and applying it to life. They're doing it through the ministry of prayer. Praying with you and for you. Just like an actual shepherd, they're called to lead and feed and care for you. And so we see this aspect that they're called to bring you before God, to represent you before God and God to you. The third thing we see about a shepherd in this is that a shepherd deals gently with the weak and the wayward because he himself is weak. We see this in verse 2. This is perhaps one of the most important components of the calling of a shepherd of God's people. What this says, what this even requires, is that shepherds are among the people and a part of the people. The shepherd of God's people are not separate. They're not elevated. They're not better. They're not different. There's a very real sense of solidarity, a very real sense of sympathy of what life is like in a broken world. The priestly ministry is about suffering with people because suffering produces sympathy and as we said last week, a biblical definition of sympathy is suffering along with another. So I think we could say you can't really be a shepherd and not suffer. A suffering shepherd understands the challenges of sin and personal weakness. But the contrast to that is a proud shepherd. And a proud shepherd won't be able to lead. They won't be able to feed. They won't be able to care for God's people well. Because a proud shepherd doesn't understand his own need for grace. Grace. There's no need for mercy. There's no need for help. When a pastor or leader in God's church recognizes his own shortcomings, he is then able to deal gently with others who also struggle. Gentleness isn't about destroying another person when they're struggling with sin. But it's also not about overlooking sin and destructive things going on in your life. No, it's about dealing with them in love and impatience. I love what we read this past week in our community Bible reading, Bible reading plan. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14, Paul says this, and we urge you, and this isn't just for leaders in the church. This isn't just for pastors. This is for you and for me, just to be in community with one another. He says, verse 14, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. Man, what would God do in our church if we just took that and tried to live that out? Admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. Patience is paramount in faithful shepherding and pastoring of God's people. And it it is shepherds who have endured suffering who have fought temptation in a broken world by God's grace and power, who are able to do that. A suffering shepherd is able to be patient and gentle because he recognizes he doesn't get it right all the time. Which leads to our final characteristic that we see in verse 3. A suffering shepherd needs a Savior too. See, all true shepherds suffer in a twofold manner. They suffer with their people and as a part of their people. This means that the high priest himself needs a high priest. He seeks to represent the people of God to God and God to the people, but he's not without sin. And in verse 3, we see that, that he has to actually offer sacrifice for his own sin before he can go into the temple, into that holy of holies on behalf of the people. If he had gone in there without doing that, he would have been killed for a lack of reverence before God. And so all of this, this picture that we see in verses 1 through 4 of chapter 5, points to the very real reality both now and then, not just for this time in yesteryear, but through the lineage of shepherding of God's people, that a suffering shepherd needs the suffering shepherd. Which leads to our second major point, the suffering shepherd. We see this in verses 5-10. through Let me just read this again for us. It says, So also Christ did not exalt Himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by Him who said to Him, You are My Son. Today I have begotten You. And He says also in another place, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of His flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to Him who was able to save Him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. What we see here is that Jesus does all of the things that the shepherd pastor does. But he's not just a shepherd, but he's the shepherd of God's people. Just like the shepherds before and after, He is chosen and appointed by God from among men. He didn't just decide to do this. He listened to the call of His Father to go and take on humanity. To be a servant. Not to be served. He represents the people of God to God and God to the people. Now one real quick thing. Twice in this text, it mentions that Jesus is a priest in the order of Melchizedek. And this is a really important point for us, but we're not going to talk about it today because the author of Hebrews spends all of chapter 7 talking about who Melchizedek is and how that relates to Jesus and why it matters for you and for me. So we'll hit that in a few weeks. But what I want to focus on now is the picture we see of the suffering shepherd in verses 7-10. through 10. Because verses 7-10 through 10 show us both that Jesus deals gently with the weak and wayward, because he himself is weak and takes on the fullness of humanity and bears the weight of that. But unlike all other shepherds, he doesn't need a Savior, but is the Savior. So we need to slow down a little bit and sit for a minute in verse 7. I mean, what do we see here? Jesus is praying and pleading and doing so with loud cries and tears. Now, some commentators look at this and think that must refer to when Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane and he's praying, he's he's in anguish over what's about to come, that he's going to go to the cross. And he's praying loudly and with tears and with anguish in his heart right before he's arrested. Now, it certainly does include that. But I think it's a wider picture than that just one episode in Jesus's life. The author says, in the days of his flesh, this is about all of Jesus' life. Jesus often went alone to desolate places to pray. In John chapter 17, he pleads with the Father on behalf of the people. At the tomb of his friend Lazarus, surrounded by grieving people, Jesus both wept and prayed. His whole life was marked by this kind of prayer, this, this earnest, this heartfelt prayer that was often accompanied by tears. As I've been thinking about this this week, I mean, how challenging is this? For me, for you, I hope. How often as you're praying before God, do you pray with this kind of praying? With an earnestness, with a crying out to God, with tears streaming down your face, broken over your own sin and the sin of others, broken over the brokenness of this world. How often do we pray like our suffering shepherd? I know I don't. And, friends, what we see in this, though, is that Jesus is not stoic. He's not emotionless. See, I think in our culture, tears are often a sign of weakness. Man, if you cry, you're not a real man. If you cry, it, right, it lets people in to see that you're, that you're broken and that you're weak. You've got to keep a front up, you've got to let people know you're strong. But you know what? The Son of God, my King, he cried. So, you know what? I think I'll cry sometimes too. It's not a sign of weakness in the way the world thinks about it. It's a sign of humility and desperation. But let's not miss this. Who is he praying and pleading to? He says he's praying and pleading to the one who was able to save him from death. This isn't so much about the cross. This is about the character of our God. The character of our God. He is a rescuing God. He's a resurrecting God. God. That's who Jesus is praying to and that's who you and I get to pray to as well. We can come before the God who rescues and restores and raises dead men and women up to life. What amazing news. Psalm chapter 62, verse 8 says this, Trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. And I love that. Pour out your heart. Don't hold back cry out, plead with God. You know why? Because He's a God of refuge for you. You can come before Him honestly and completely and frequently without fear or hiding because Jesus has made a way for you. Jesus prays and pleads and He prays and pleads for you before the throne of God above. Verse 8 says that although He was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. There's a lot in here. And Jesus suffered. That's one huge thing we see in this. He suffered, but he learned obedience. That sounds a little bit off. So, what's going on here? As one pastor says, this does not mean that Jesus moved from being disobedient to being obedient, it means he moved from being untested to being tested and proven. He moved from obeying without any suffering to obeying through unspeakable suffering. Did this come automatically? No, he prayed and he cried out to God. He was praying for persevering obedience, that he'd be faithful to what God had called him to, that he'd be able to endure everything that was going to come his way, a life of suffering. Let's not forget that Jesus was ridiculed, he was made fun of. Even his own family thought he was crazy. He he was dealing with people around him all the time who had little faith and were struggling with unbelief. And he was betrayed by those that were closest to him. One of his very closest disciples turned on him. And all the rest of them abandoned him completely. He had no place to even lay his own head. Jesus lived a life of suffering. So he's praying that God would help him to do that well. Then even as the Son of God. It says, although he was the Son. And so what he's pointing out here is Jesus has no pass. He doesn't get a ticket to circumvent suffering. He walked straight through it and endured it perfectly. He learned, he knew what it was like to be a human in a fallen world. He saw death firsthand. He experienced death firsthand. And he did it for you. There are all types of suffering that you and I will encounter and endure as we live life in a broken world whether that's because of our own sin or the effects of sin or someone sinning against us. And the people that the author is talking to here are experiencing suffering. They're experiencing persecution particularly for their faith that they've been trying to follow Jesus, but now people are ridiculing them and giving them a hard time about that, and so they're tempted to walk away, and that's the question that's kind of hanging in the air for them. Will they walk away from Jesus? what the author is trying to help them see is that Jesus didn't walk away. He endured. He stayed. We fail and falter, but he didn't. We put our hope in other people and things, but he didn't. He had a laser focus on the Father in his will. He has reverence before God, awe of the Father, and God hears his prayers. For Jesus, it was give me the Father in his will and nothing else. And he didn't do this when things were easy. He did this in the midst of his real suffering, ultimate suffering. With the cross set before him, he went to it with joy, despising its shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you. See, friends, we don't just need a suffering shepherd. We all need the suffering shepherd who was and is faithful to the end. Something key here that I don't want us to miss in this in our own lives is that learning comes from suffering. Learning comes from suffering. It's a time in your life when everything seems to be stripped away. That God often does a work in your heart and your life. He helps you understand more of who he is. He helps you understand the things you might have been trying to hold on to. He starts to prune you and refine you. And he teaches you through that. He shows you where maybe in your life you've been saying, God, I love you and fill in the blank. God, I'll be fine if I have you and my family, or my health, or my job, or my kids. And it's that little and that reveals the subtlety of idolatry in our heart. And it's oftentimes for us in those moments of suffering that those things come to surface. When Jesus endured all of that force, but he did so perfectly. There was no and for Jesus. So I want us to dip back in for just a minute to talk about pastors in Jesus's church. And in particular, any current and future pastors at Sojourn or anyone who aspires to be a leader it helps serve in the church. Listen to me. Suffering does not preclude you from serving Jesus in the church. It qualifies you. Suffering does not preclude you from serving Jesus in his church. It qualifies you and it comes with the territory. The reason for that is because suffering leads you to be desperate for Jesus. To be absolutely desperate for him it's the upside-down nature of Jesus and his kingdom. That it's suffering shepherds that get to help lead God's people. It's not those who think they have it all right and have it all together and who life is easy and perfect. And this shouldn't surprise us because it's also the upside-down nature of who Jesus is. A selfless, sacrificial, suffering servant. Not a paragon of pride and prejudice and pompous power. Friends, do we recognize we follow a crucified king? doesn't make any sense to the world around us? A crucified king, the suffering shepherd and overseer of your soul. So let me be really clear here. It is far better for you and your soul to follow a leader who walks with a limp, not a swagger. Because oftentimes it's in the crucible of suffering that God will snuff out the swagger in a person through humility and oftentimes even through humiliation. See, the mantra of every suffering shepherd is what Paul declares with confidence in 2 Corinthians 12. I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest on me. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That my desire for myself and any other pastor or leader at Sojourn is that we would embody this picture that we see in Jesus who learned obedience through suffering. Because every faithful pastor follows, has to follow the faithful pastor, Jesus. Because they understand their own need for grace. They aren't the Savior of God's people. They need the Savior of God's people. And lead people to him. So pray for your current and future pastors and leaders that we might be able to serve Christ and his church well and faithfully following our suffering shepherd. Because of all these things that the author has laid out about Jesus, we see that Jesus is the source of our salvation. He is qualified to be our Savior. In verses 9-10 through 10, we see this, that he was endured this suffering and being made perfect. He endured his suffering perfectly. He never grumbled or complained. He never sinned against the Father in the midst of his suffering. That qualifies him to be your Savior. To be able to take on your sin and your shame and your suffering. The sinless suffering Savior died so that your soul could be counted free. Free from your sin and suffering. As we heard earlier from Isaiah 53 and see on display here in Hebrews 5, I just want to read this again. Having read this, having studied through this together this morning, to hear these words again that were read over you already. Jesus was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him, the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds, we are healed. Jesus is our compassionate high priest. The compassionate high priest. But he is he yours? Is he your suffering shepherd and savior? Salvation belongs to those who obey Jesus, those who follow him as Lord, that trust in him and his perfect righteousness, not your own. The trust in Jesus' ability to endure suffering, not your ability to endure it. So is that you? Have you trusted in the suffering shepherd? Are you trusting in yourself or something else? Are you trusting in the suffering shepherd right now? Here's why this matters. You will experience trials and difficulty in this broken world. And you'll experience them at different points in your life, and they'll be of different and varying degrees. As I said, some of it will be brought about by your own doing. Some of it will come from those that sin against you. Some of it will come as you seek to follow Jesus. Jesus. And your coworkers or your classmates, your friends, or your family members ridicule you and persecute you and make fun of you because of it. Some of it will come about just because our world is so jacked up because of sin. Disease and dysfunction and death ravage our hearts and our homes and our lives. But what this text is calling you and me to this morning is to take heart. Take heart friends, because Jesus has overcome the world, then our suffering, once dead, now risen High Priest, has passed through the heavens and is seated in victory next to the Father for you. Do you know Him? Or do you just know about Him? Listen, you have people who love you. You have pastors in this church who absolutely love you. But Jesus identifies you, with you, in your weakness and in your suffering more than any pastor or person ever could. Because pastors and people will let you down. They will fail you, they will disappoint you, they will sin against you, but Jesus never will. So are you putting your confidence in him or are you putting your confidence and your hope and your identity in something or someone else? See, in our moments of ignorance and waywardness, when we've wandered far from the life and lifestyle God has called us to, when we are struggling with unbelief in the midst of our suffering, struggling with unbelief in the goodness of who God is, in the goodness of His ways, you don't find a harsh high priest, but a compassionate suffering shepherd who will gently lead you into God's grace. What all of this means is that Jesus invites you to come to him and come quickly and honestly to be real with him. I mean, can we be honest? A lot of us are just a hot mess. I mean, if if people really knew what was going on in our lives, we'd be like, dude, that's messed up. We, but we're so good at putting up facades. We're so good at putting up fronts. Can we just be real? We are a hot mess. But listen, Jesus isn't scared of you. He isn't scared of you. He hung out with the worst of sinners. And Jesus isn't scared of your suffering. Because he endured the worst of suffering. And Jesus isn't scared of your sin. He died for it. And so he doesn't just save the easy to save people. He doesn't save people who have little sin or suffer small inconveniences. No, Jesus saves to the uttermost. It means he saves completely, completely those who draw near to God through him. And you know what he does? It says in Hebrews later on, he lives to make intercession for you. So come to him. Isaiah chapter 42, verse 3 says this A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. To be bruised is to be broken over sin, or broken by sin, whether it be yours or someone else's or the world's. And Richard Sibbs, in his classic book, The Bruised Reed, says this Jesus is a physician good at healing all diseases especially the binding up of a broken heart. And he died that he might heal our souls with the plaster of his own blood and by that death save us from our own sin. Sibs continues, are you bruised? Be of good comfort, he calls you. Conceal not your wounds. Open all before him and take not Satan's counsel. Friends, in the loudness of your accuser's voice, don't miss the voice of your advocate and invite you to come to him. Come to him. He is gentle and lowly in heart. The suffering shepherd invites you to come to him, not so he can crush you, but so he can heal you. Jesus binds up the brokenhearted. Are you brokenhearted this morning? Come to him. He bears with you in your weakness and your suffering. Are you weak and suffering this morning? And come to Him. You may be a faintly burning wick. There's just an ember of glow left in you. But Jesus will not snuff you out as you seek Him and come to Him. And then when you are comforted by the one who gives comfort, by our greatest comforter, you then can comfort others. He is patient with us, so now we can be patient and long-suffering with one another. Dealing gently with each other as he has dealt gently with us. Because right now, sitting here today, sitting here this morning, in this church community, there are people that are hurting more than you know. Maybe somebody sitting next to you. Maybe somebody sitting in front of you, behind you. Maybe somebody who couldn't get out of bed this morning to come and gather with us. There are people hurting more than you know. You may be sitting here this morning knowing that you are hurting more than people know. You aren't sure anyone else can understand what you're going through right now, what you're struggling with. You've never tried to tell anybody. But Jesus knows. Jesus knows. The suffering shepherd who prays and pleads with tears before our God who raises the dead knows. And he invites you to himself today. And he invites you to his people today. See, every person or pastor who is not personally desperate for help and grace, every person or pastor who doesn't point you away from themselves and to the one who can help you, to Jesus, they may make you feel better temporarily. But in the end, they will not ultimately help you or heal your soul so that you might endure the next trial that's going to come or the next storm and make it to the end still believing. Listen, this church is not built on or for the glory of any pastor or person. It is built on and for the glory of the suffering shepherd. What that means is that this church should be here, Lord willing, long after I'm gone, long after any other pastor or leader is gone, because this church preaches and proclaims the message not of a suffering shepherd, but the suffering shepherd of Jesus Christ and him crucified. This is his church. This is his people. You are his bride, and he ferociously defends and protects it against the wiles of wolves and the subtlety of selfish ambition. So follow him and follow those who follow him. Pray for us as we pray for you. And together, let's go to the suffering shepherd, our suffering shepherd, without delay. Church, his nail-pierced hands are open to you. Come to him. Draw near to the throne of grace and find help and healing today. Come. Come. Our first act of response and application to this invitation is really twofold this morning. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, those of us that have placed our faith and trust in who Jesus is and what he has done are invited to come to the table this morning to eat this sacred meal of the bread and the cup. The bread is a picture of Christ's body broken for us the cup is a picture of Christ's blood shed for us together they're a picture of Christ's suffering for us and we come to the table this morning reminded of the truth of 1 Peter 2 he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds you are healed for you were straying like sheep but have returned now, to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So come today, return to the shepherd and overseer of your soul once again. Eat and drink and celebrate the goodness and lavishness of grace that is born, poured out on you in and through Christ, our crucified King. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, there's an opportunity for you to respond as well, an invitation for you, but it's an invitation to respond to grace today. To become a Christian today, that you would put your hope in the suffering shepherd. And so if you're not a follower of Christ, I don't want you to come forward to take of the bread and take of the cup. I just want you to hang in your seat and know that Jesus' arms are open wide to you today. So come to him. Cry out to him today. Plead with him today that he might save you, restore you, and make you a part of this community, this family. We'd love to journey with you in that. So please let one of us know, someone know that you want to start walking with Jesus. Those of you that will come forward, you can come to the front or to the back whenever you're ready. Let's continue to worship together. Pray with me. Good Father, we open up our hearts to you today. And so we pray, Father, that you would comfort our hearts. Lead us this morning to our suffering shepherd. Forgive us, Father, this morning for finding our hope, our comfort, our identity in anyone or anything else. Whether it be a husband or a wife, a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Our appearance. Our resources. Lord, forgive us for that. Jesus, lead us this morning. Lead us to still waters and green pastures no matter what's going on in our lives, and help us to do that with one another. Lord, we are grateful for your grace. We are grateful that we have a high priest who understands the challenges and difficulties of this broken world, but endured them perfectly.